We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. Hi, Roth! Hey, man. I uh, Can I take our listeners inside the game for just one moment before we get started? Yeah, I mean, you always do. So you yeah. did a fantastic, like, Mariah Carey hitting a high C hand gesture when you hit the we're back on that one. I'm ready to run <laughs> through a fucking wall right now. Incredible. You've got me feeling emotions. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I do my best. You always, like, I think as you get older... The hand gestures increase. Like mm-hmm. you, like you always make fun of like Trump being like, and it was a very, very big deal that we made, very big. While he's, he's doing like, the accordion. Yeah, hands. like yeah. I think as you age, the amount of gesticulation increases because you're so desperate for people to pay attention to you because they're usually going to tune you out because you're fucking old and worthless, right? It so, didn't occur to me that there was like a practical purpose for the um, like the Tony Sirico pinched hands emoji, like the Madone <laughs> gesture. But that actually is a way of like emphasizing stuff. If you're worried that people are going to stop paying attention, like yeah. you have to be like a sandwich, you know, like we got really like under this fucking guy. <laughs> Speaking of which, our guest is Luis Paez Pumar. Hi, Luis. Hello. Speaking of fucking guys, wow. this fucking guy, Luis is joining us for what is going to be at least at its inception. A Formula One podcast? We're going to talk a little F1 today with Luis, because Luis is almost by default the resident uh, Formula One knower at Defector, so we want to talk to him about it. Although there's a whole fucking gang of freaks yeah. lined up behind Luis now. There's a whole oh, yeah. room gang. I it's, actually, it, I'm lining up behind others. Uh, like Giddy, Patrick, and my three first were like our little Formula One bubble, but we, we've expanded it a bit. We have a Slack channel. You're you, actually, you are hardly it, alone because it, that it seems like this has become a phenomenon among sports writers. Like, F1 is the new Bachelor, where like every, <laughs> every American sports writer is like, Whoa, I am suddenly very horny for Drive to Survive and for F1. And they'll just like live tweet. I mean, every it's a very, very similar like set of drama that they have as the Bachelor. Could, so, could you expand on that? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a Drive to Survive that started, I think. I think, you know, with the pandemic, like, there's just something to watch. Uh, but they do a really good job. Some people say too good of a job of like making the drama come to life. And I don't know. I uh I resisted it for a while. And then like over the winter, this past winter, I was like, you know what? There's like three seasons. Let me check it out. And it's amazing. Like it's a really well done. I wouldn't call it a documentary. It's a it's a reality series. Um, but it's super fun and like I don't know, they have like very distinct characters, and I think you latch on there's only what 20 drivers 22 ish um right so like you can latch on to your favorites i mean we did a, a post on the site that was like our sweeties and enemies because everyone is so well fleshed out that it, yeah it's it's just easy to like get rooting interests and the actual sport is so technical that there's a lot to learn as you're like diving from the netflix show to like actually watching it yeah i was blown away because i had to I had to profile McLaren boss Zach Brown for Road and Track back in 2020, right before the pandemic mm. started. And, you know, they were showing me just the car itself and just the steering wheel was like, you know, you may as well have been at the controls of a fucking space shuttle. Right. I was it's like, not recognizable as a steering no, wheel. To no, me. it's not like, it's not even a wheel. It's like a panel. It's like, I, there are more, no, there are fewer knobs and dials on like a record producer's control board than on this like steering wheel. It blew me away. And the other thing that was amazing to me was I had to watch 
I, for for homework prior to meeting Zach Brown, I do, I watched one of the episodes of Drive Drive to Survive, which was the one focused around McLaren, right? Because I wanted to see Zach Brown on camera, and I was just it was the cockpit footage that I thought was so great because a lot of times you're not like even in reality shows or in documentaries, you're not the footage is not really going to be all that interesting unless it's like NFL films or something like that. But this, like seeing it from the cockpit was so much more riveting to me than watching uh, watching it from a bird's eye view of a standard sort of race, um, you know, a, a race telecast. And I, 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 it made me see it in a, it gave me a different appreciation for F1, which is, you know, I think probably the best of the, of the motorsports, I think, Luis. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing with like the cockpit view and stuff is you actually see the speed that they're going at. Yes, and you feel it. Yeah, like when like they, visual. when they show, you know, the car view and they're going down a straight, you're like, okay, they're going fast. Like I can tell. But then when you're in the cop, it's like, Oh, they're going like 200 miles an hour. And then immediately have to like break for a hairpin turn in, you know, half a second really, really drives that home. Uh, especially like, I think in certain races when it's tight, like, it, you know, the, the track is like very small. Like uh, Miami was one of those that we just had recently or like Saudi Arabia, I'm terrified for that. I'm like, you're going so fast. And then you have like a car length and a half to turn 180 degrees. And they just, they do it, what, 60 times, you know, in an hour and a half. And it's perfect. That's, That's what, what I was going to ask about in terms of watching it to watch it. Because like, I, I'm happy to talk more about Drive to Survive because it does seem like that is like a, like a major achievement in marketing is not like the most interesting way to see it. But like, the fact that it turned a bunch of fairly normal sports perverts I know into F1 people is like quite and uh, you know a feather in their cap. But like watching a race on TV, is it fun? Yes. Like, can you can you enjoy it? Like, or is it just kind of like it's the least interesting part of an interesting? Thing? No, I think it's it's actually the most interesting, but it also depends on each particular race. Um, you know, and that has to do with like the track layout you know, the conditions, like, is it raining? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? But like, when you get the perfect set of conditions, it is fantastic because all the drama that, you know, happens in the week before you have that in your mind and you're like, oh, I know like these two guys have been battling for sixth position all season. And then they're like going back and forth, you know, in the last 10 laps, it's super riveting to me. Um, it also helps that the races are about the length of a soccer game, which I think is the perfect. I was going to say they're not terribly long. Yeah. Which is, I think the I longest think... one's like an hour 40 or something like that. Like nothing too crazy. Well, that's Can I... great, actually. Mm -hmm. I want to go back. Can I, I want to ask both of you. Have either of you had a moment where you were either riding in a car or driving in it? Like what was the fastest you, you've been in a car? And like, did it scare you when you went that fast, Roth? So I'll, I guess uh, I can go first. It certainly was a normal fast speed, like, and it was on a highway and no. I mean, I think it was the sort of thing where after college, I drove across the country with my then girlfriend. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of road in the United States. Uh, yes. You know, a lot more road than there is uh, people in a lot of parts of it. And so even in a, like, I think it was like a Ford escort like it was not a, like a built for speed sort of no. thing and it had like all of her shit in the back like everything that and like whatever records i didn't send home 
like going 100 miles an hour in that is like it's definitely something you can do and it doesn't feel that i mean in that car like i was aware that i was i was harming it to do that <laughs> was it rattling like yeah it was definitely it was just sort of like oh <laughs> 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 i had a lot of cards at that time in my life that were like um, they were screwed up in such a way that it made me feel bad for driving them. I had a Ford Festiva the summer that I lived out in Los Angeles and worked that, like, at one point the tape deck in it was broken such that, like, just the sound of the engine revving was coming through the speakers. Like, it was, like, so if I was going faster, you'd just hear an ambient, like, <laughs> but, like, coming through the stereo. Anyway, uh, yeah, going 100 miles an hour in, like, Kansas in a car uh, on a flat, well-maintained highway, like, was not scary. The times I've been in, like, little car accidents are super scary because you're of course. abruptly reminded that you are in something that is, like, big and out of your control and can harm people. But I've never gotten, like, to that level of drive. I've never driven a car cool enough to scare me. Luis, that uh, seems like an experience you might have had yeah, as a Floridian. Well, yeah, Luis is Floridian, so I feel yeah, like you can top I, it. I'm going to give you guys some Miami lore real quick to, to answer this. So there was like a stretch of, I guess it was technically a highway, but not really, uh, called the William Lehman Causeway. And it was basically from US-1 to the beach. There were never cops there. Uh, sorry if I'm about to like talk about speed. Blow everybody's yeah. spot. <laughs> um, and so... Yeah, we would just, like, go as fast as we could. And it, it had, like, a little bit of a turn. So, like, it kind of, in a very rudimentary level, felt like a, you know, racetrack. And, yeah, oh, yeah, I've definitely hit, like, I don't know, 110 in my dad's, like, Grand Cherokee. And that was a little terrifying because you're in, like, a big SUV and, like, things right. are starting to rattle a little bit. Yeah. But I think the fastest I ever went was actually my friend had one of those like Subaru, like this, the rally car model. I forgot, like the WRX, I think it's called. And oh, like sort of like a big, like gaudy spoiler at the back. Yeah, and stuff. exactly. And I was riding with him and we hit 125 on that road. And because I wasn't driving, it was terrifying. Yeah. I was like, not only are we going double the speed limit right now, but also I am not in control. So if yeah. we yes. crash and die, it's because of my idiot, like, 17-year-old friend instead of me, the idiot 17-year-old. Right, I was going to say, it's totally different when I, a 17-year-old idiot, yeah. am driving the car. But in this case, I got some fucking idiot 17-year-old <laughs> over there. Anything could, something could go wrong. Yeah, but luckily, nothing did. My wife is half German, and uh, the entire maternal side of her family is uh, German and lives in Germany, except for her mother who lives here. And uh, we went to go visit <clears throat> her grandfather... And her aunts and stuff like that in in Munich. Uh, this is like in I think I think it was two thousand one, and we had to go from Munich to like one of the suburbs to visit her aunt. And so her other aunt drove us on the autobahn to like this house, and it was just like a normal driving on the autobahn day. But it's the autobahn, so everybody in Germany drives like a fucking million miles an <laughs> yeah. hour on it. And I'm like, I'm gripping the door. Like, I can't <laughs> tell how fast we're going because it's in kilometers and on the speedometer. <laughs> You're and too I'm scared like, to do mental yeah, math at that I point. I was like, I am going to die. And it was like, it was it, like, I've also been ridden in the pace car at the Phoenix Speedway. And that was terrifying. But I sort of knew that going in because it was a racetrack. This was just a regular drive for German people. And I was like, I was like, I can't, I can't do that ever again. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. so I, I had like a scared straight thing with the autobahn because Drazen Petrovic died in an accident on it, and it was a really yes. gnarly authoritative accident. And he was like Petrovic was like the most important 
athlete, you know, to me as a kid and stuff. Let's remember a dead guy. We're doing it. But it was definitely, like, in the way that, like, I think, uh, like, Len Bias scared a lot of people straight. It was, like, for me, that's, like, Petrovich is, like, not even about speeding. It's just, like, I don't want to drive in Germany, and I don't think I want to be driven in Germany either. Like, if I travel by helicopter or bike, (laughs) like, let's just do that. I think that's correct. I I think think you could put me in any car situation and i would take it over a helicopter though helicopters yeah, oh, i've never been in a helicopter a I'm huge sure. yeah. phobia of mine it, i've ridden in one and it was actually for the same assignment for penthouse magazine as riding in the pace car <laughs> at phoenix and i went in a helicopter i'd go in a helicopter from phoenix to tucson to judge a red bull chariot race at the university of arizona oh my god and the helicopter <laughs> is fucking terrifying because if you're on an airplane you have a window. You see out the side of the window, right? You don't see out the front. When you see the f- out the front of an aircraft, it's a completely different sensation, particularly if that aircraft is relatively low to the ground. Like, we're not 30,000 feet up in the air, and we're going at a mountain, and I'm like, we're going to hit that fucking mountain. And the pilot's like, no, we're, we're well above it. But it doesn't look that way when you're staring at it. And also, the footwell had a window, too, so I could look down. No. And my own... Yeah, it was... It was that. I can't... I cannot in good conscience recommend riding in a helicopter to anybody unless it's like unless it's like the Air Force One helicopter or whatever the fuck. I, I can't. Did you have the thought I'm gonna die on assignment for Penthouse magazine? Uh, that's a pretty powerful uh, thing to realize. No, because I was like, wow, I'm getting paid big money by a porno mag to go in a <laughs> right. helicopter. I'm very <laughs> special. Uh, did you like, uh, Luis, did you like the fake marina that they had at the infield of the of the Grand Prix course in Miami? Not and why initially. wasn't there a real marina? It, it grew on me, though. Um, I think as the weekend went on, they kept showing it. I'm like, you know what? This is perfectly Miami. And like the reason behind it is also great, which is the reason of like Miami sports development over the last like 15 years, which is they wanted to do it on the waterfront, you know, to get like the beautiful like port of Miami views with the boats. And then the city was like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) And so then uh, beloved local owner, Stephen Ross was like, oh, we'll just do it around, you know, the stadium. And so instead of just abandoning the waterfront view, they just did this, which, ah, delightful. Loved it. Yeah. No notes. This is one of those things where saying that something is perfectly Miami is like the definition of a value-neutral statement. Because it can be completely right. And yet at the same time, you're like, why did they flood the parking lot? Like, that was necessary? They needed to do that for Well, that's what I was kind of disappointed. They didn't, like, build a literal temporary marina in the infield of the track with, like, like an indoor pool, but it's really big. It's big enough that you can park boats in and shit like that. Like, I thought they would have the balls to do that. But no, they just had, like like turquoise wallpaper yeah yeah it was like a vinyl decal over plywood which is delightful like to what roth said i feel like i'm dipping into that perfectly miami well a little too much following this race because i said that in the blog too but it is both praise and the biggest insult that i could give miami and i can do that because i'm from there yeah Yeah. i've there's that there's that there's that fine line florida walks and it's usually on the wrong side of it where like it's it's that that sort of trashy where you're like this is such cool trash 
and then there's also oh this is this is a distinctly evil place that I yep. yes <laughs> that needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. That was a point that it, our Matt Ufford made. Uh, I think in like just an Instagram post or whatever about how like Miami is different, but the rest of the state just feels like if you left it alone for like 48 hours, it would just be reclaimed by vines and alligators, like more or less in toto. <laughs> like it should not. People shouldn't be there. They certainly shouldn't be acting the way that they are. And all of it is like kind of just unsettled in a way that that other states are not. Let me ask you some sports questions, uh, Luis, about F1. Luis, I almost said Luis Hamilton. <laughs> Luis Hamilton. Uh, he's won seven Formula One titles. He's probably the greatest driver, not only in F1 history, but in all of auto racing history. He got knocked out of first last year in the final race by uh, the dreaded Max Verstappen. Was Max's victory that year a fluke, or is it possible that we're entering a latter-day stage of Lewis Hamilton's career where he is not as dominant as he once was? Uh, I think it was not a fluke. Uh, as much as I do not like Max, I think he is as good as Lewis was at his age. Like, he is a, you know, not to use this term, but a generational talent. Uh, I know we've clowned on that, but... Uh, That's an all right term. I don't mind yeah. that term. But yeah, I, I also... I don't know if Hamilton is like on, I mean, he's definitely on the downswing just because of age. Um, you know, the, the reflexes go a little bit, but I think formula one is about so much more than just like the driver's skill because you know, the cars matter and like Mercedes through all of Hamilton's seven wins had the best car and like by a good amount. And so now that he doesn't this year, it's showing that like, you know, maybe he wasn't, I don't know, the Wayne Gretzky of Formula One. Maybe he was like the Tom Brady where he's still really good, but like not so clear above the rest of the pack. I think, I think Tom Brady's kind of clear about okay. Yeah, well, that's a, you know what? Sneaking in some editorializing. You're, you're the Pats fan here. Uh, you're, he's you're... on the Bucks now. I don't have to defend him anymore. It's not uh, my problem. Wait, not my why... part of Florida, baby. But like, I don't want to get distracted by fucking Brady. Why is the car not as good as it has been in previous years? So ahead of this season, Formula One introduced like a bunch of new regulations, basically to make races more interesting. Um a lot of the it's like aerodynamic stuff that I will not dive into because I don't fully understand it. But the idea is it allows cars to follow each other closer and uh, have more grip on the track so they can pass each other more. Basically, every car needed to be redesigned for the season and Mercedes just completely messed it up. Like how how and why the the body shape that they pick, like has a lot of problems, uh, specifically it bounces a lot. Uh, this is like the, well, you know how I mean. like sports that like basketball had verticality as it's like term for like yes. three years. Uh, porpoising is what they call it. Uh, oh, <laughs> that the sounds car, really bad. Yeah. The car's but very Miami. To, very very Miami. It's supposed to look like a dolphin, like going up and down the waves. It's not supposed to do that. That's just what it looks like now. And um, it hops, man. It hops. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so Mercedes's car has by far the worst of that. Um, and that, you know, oh, slows shit. you down on straights and makes it more difficult to like go into turns, you know, with more speed and catch up. So th it's been noticeably slower than the top two now, which are Red Bull still, which is Max uh, Verstappen's team and Ferrari, who completely nailed their design. Like their design is incredible. And so I don't know if Mercedes can fix that this season. They will eventually because they're Mercedes and they just have all the money in the world. Um, and yes. in the off season, it's like a lot easier to make changes. But yeah, they they came into the season with the third or fourth best car after a decade of having 
pretty consensus, like, number one. Well, um, do spending caps have anything to do with that? Because prior to the pandemic, there were no spending caps on teams. And since Mercedes had more money than any of the companies uh, that owned other race teams, they could spend as much as they want. And they're spending, like, you know, I remember Zach Brown quoting three or $400 million that they would spend. And that was, you know, three and four times as much as everyone except basically Ferrari and maybe Red Bull. Has that made the difference? Is that, has that factored into this? Or was this just basic incompetence on Mercedes' part? So I do think the spending caps matter in so much as how much Mercedes can fix during the season because the spending caps are like during the season. And so right. once they got out on the track and were completely wrong in their design, there's very not very little they can do, but not enough probably. Oh, okay. That being said, I mean, they can still spend a lot of money on, you know, like staff that knows what they're doing and like facilities and whatnot. So I don't see this as like, oh, Mercedes is done now. Like they're just not going to be able to spend enough eventually to fix it. I just think it definitely getting it so wrong from the start has set them back because of the spending caps. If they, if they weren't spending caps, they probably would be in contention, maybe not for the title because they're starting so badly, but like they would be up there by the end of the season. I do think, though, it's, it really is just, I don't even want to call incompetence because it's a completely new design and like some other teams are having problems, but like compared to Red Bull and Ferrari and even McLaren, who has like a pretty good car, they definitely, whatever s- statistics and data they were looking at, they did not get right before the season. Uh, Hamilton's porpoising sounds okay. fun when you yeah. say it they, on yeah. its own. So the drivers have been complaining about the increased porpoising because it is physically painful. Like uh, George Russell. Ooh, yeah, who, they're basically just like sitting on a little stool going 200 miles an hour. Yes. Right? I mean, it's probably. Uh, George so Russell, who is Hamilton's teammate at Mercedes, has been very vocal about like, I get out of a race and like my neck is just messed up. My back is messed up. Like. All these actual like physical issues caused by just the car, yeah, being like a little bouncy red. Well, also uh, because uh, the drivers for the car, it's not like a regular car where you just get in and out. Like they have to remove parts of the car, or at least McLaren had to, before someone uh, like Lando Norris would get into it. He would go, he would sit down, and then they would reassemble parts of the car around him so that he would fit into it. So already like, like we're talking about... getting sewn into a dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, basically up. that. So it's all, you're already like primed for incredible discomfort and also you're driving 200 miles an hour and having to make hairpin turns every half a second. So um, uh, Hamilton also has a tiff right now with Formula One, Luis, uh, because uh, they want him to remove piercings. They want all drivers to remove piercings in the name of safety, even though... Hamilton has had piercings, uh, you know, for his entire career. And he was like, I don't, I don't want to remove any of these piercings. And in some cases I can't. And so he poured, he pointed down, like down below, like he had like a barbell, like in his nutsack. that's like welded in there. Um, would you guys like Roth? I know that you have like a, a spider web, uh, metallic, uh, a graft on your scrotum. Hmm? Would you remove that? <laughs> If uh, Formula One made you so that you could race, or would you abandon the pursuit entirely? Well, I'd remove it if anybody asked, and oh, no one ever has. That's very courteous. That is so. Basically, Hamilton is saying he's got like a like a weenie ring. He, I, he yeah, he didn't say that. it explicitly, but uh, I can't really imagine that it's anywhere else because 
of the wording he used. He was like, uh, in in a place I I don't like know how to mention or something, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that so it's not a button. nipple ring, yeah, because I feel okay. like he would just say like on my chest. So yeah, I was it's a Prince Albert. I I have yeah. to assume. <laughs> Maybe it's his asshole. That'd be I, listen, he he uh, innovated in Formula One. He might have innovated in body piercing too. It would be funny if he had a fun flirty belly button ring that he refused to remove. <laughs> it's like a tribute to Britney in the early stages. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about in terms of the NBA playoffs before I ask uh, Roth a baseball question. Uh, I just watched, Luis, I just watched uh, your Heat obliterate the Sixers uh, the other night, which was brought me great joy because I don't tear, I don't like the Sixers and I really don't like the Celtics. How much should I believe in the Heat to come out of the East? How much can I believe in them to do so? Not a lot. <laughs> this, yeah. this makes me sad. Uh, I think the winner of the other series, the Celtics Bucks, is going to make the finals. Uh, the Heat are, are really good, but they rely so much on just hitting shots um, in, to a like very high degree. And when they don't, we get what happened in games three and four, where they shoot like twenty percent and you know get crushed and don't even score eighty points. Isn't that most basketball teams though? I feel like Miami, given their construction, they don't have like it's basically Jimmy Butler. If the shots aren't going down, he has to like do you know. 2020 Every- NBA Finals, Jimmy Butler, and that's just right. exhausting. While other teams, like the Celtics, have enough guys who can, you know, like Al Horford put up what, like 30 points or whatever the other yeah. day. Like, I don't think they're counting on that going forward. Yeah, but like, like the- you know, they can have like people beyond Tatum and Jalen Brown like do things. Uh, and Giannis yeah, is just rely on the ta- the Tyler Hero game or whatever. Yeah, Hero's been awful, man. Like yeah. I I thought he turned the corner because he was so good in the regular season, but he's been awful this series. But yeah, I don't know. I I think yeah, Miami could catch fire one more time against Philly, and then four against whoever wins the other series. I just probably wouldn't bet on that. Um, I think. They they have everything else, um, and it's basically you know they can defend anyone. Uh, although Giannis might kind of test that. Um, and they, they can score, but, you know, Max Struess isn't going to hit whatever, how many of her threes he hit on uh, Tuesday, like six or whatever it was. So it, it's tough. I uh, I think that type of team is kind of frustrating to watch because you know early if they're going to hit shots that night or not. Or oh, they're... yeah, I don't like that when they're yeah. like, when they when they start cold and you know they stay that yeah. way. Ooh. Oh god, game four was one of the worst viewing experiences I've had because they kept getting completely open, th- like threes I could make, and went like six for thirty-two or something. Oh, we gotta so take a quick break. Kind of sur- confused me. They've taken that many. Sorry, Drew. I just, this is the one little bit. They've That's taken good. thirty-three pointers a game and they're not playing Duncan Robinson. Yeah, is he, he played that. He played on unusable Tuesday. on defense. He did play on Tuesday. That he is, is though. If you have hero out there for Miami, or you have Harden out for Philly, like, it's just bad. Like, the defense will fall apart if you add Duncan Robinson. Because Harden, you know, can hunt Duncan Robinson pretty easily. Or Hero, if you're... I mean, having all three would be a mess. So, I get it. I also think, at a certain point in Game 4, Spolster should have put him in, because no one else was hitting wide-open threes. Uh, We have to take a break, but before we do, I I just want to say, and this is not Tyler Hero's fault, but anytime I hear his name called, uh, I think of Vanilla Ice in the film Cool is Ice mm. uh, saying to a girl he likes, he says, Hey, girl, drop the zero and get with the hero. And I think of that line every time, even though I never saw the film. I Iconic. Saw yeah, I've never anyway. seen that, but I believe that. 
Well, uh, let's take a break and come right back uh, with Luis Pais Pumar. Right back. We are back with Luis Pais Pumar, and we're talking NBA playoffs. Uh, more specifically, Luis, I want to talk to you about uh, the MP and I want to talk to you about the MVP. I want to talk to you about the MVP vote. Uh, Nikola Jokic won the MVP this week over Joel Embiid. He lost. Embiid lost the vote. The real and that was something that everyone except like Philly radio guys knew was going to happen. But the real story, uh, because I'm petty, is that uh, Embiid and other NBA players publicly complained about Bill Simmons uh, going on a podcast and screaming out. Fuck Jalen Green when uh, <laughs> when Simmons himself has an MVP vote among other privileges. So I wanted to ask both of you, and I'll start with Luis: Is the MVP award, among other honors, flawed in how it's decided, or should Simmons have been allowed to voice what is really just a sort of basic dumb fanboy opinion? Like I don't, I don't, I I am not one to defend the man, but that just that seems relatively harmless, except that he's voting for MVP, and that has like a great deal of impact on how guys are maybe paid or how they're perceived league-wide. I don't know. So I think you hit the point right at the end there. Like, I think the MVP vote is flawed. I also don't really care. Um, But because it is tied to maybe less the MVP, but like, you know, all NBA teams or all-star voting, whatever, is tied to compensation, that's the problem. Like, that is where, yeah, something like fuck Jalen Green turns out to be actually like it might affect Jalen Green at some point uh as for just like the prestige or whatever I I don't care um I think you know but but then how can you entrust this this honor to people who are paid to give their opinions to people on a regular basis well what I I just I guess once you take the financial out of it like I the MVP award has had so many misfires, <laughs> at least in my yes. lifetime, yeah. that it's hard for me to be like, oh, like in Beach Like, it's not like Jokic stole the award. Like, he wasn't Derrick Rose no, in was 2011. Good. You know, like, he was great. He was fantastic. So, like, I don't I don't know. It's hard for me to care about, like, oh, you know, Embiid should have gotten this honor or Giannis should have over Jokic as long as there is no, like, actual effect on the players beyond just, you know, their legacy. Like, I don't care. Uh yeah. You know, it, it, this is maybe coming from a soccer perspective where, like, the player of the year awards are complete shams. And, like, I have been trained in my head to not care who wins the Ballon d'Or or, like, the FIFA player of the year. I don't even know what they call it now. Um, and so that translates over here where, like, yeah, like, let Bill Simmons be a dumbass and vote for whoever he wants. Like, you know, vote for Jason Tatum for MVP because he's only 19. Uh, incredible. <laughs> He's got so much basketball ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it's annoying in that regard. I think mostly because of the fact that it's like, I mean, for as long as I've been following basketball, the MVP award has been like, not just in terms of it being like chamois or whatever, but it has that kind of like, you usually only see it in like national level democratic politics that where it's just like this weird like overcompensating like like you know that if you were just giving the award to the most valuable player in the league like Michael Jordan would have won it nine straight seasons and then LeBron would have won it nine straight seasons and that's not fun for anybody and no one wants to do that but then you wind up with like not just like the outlier seasons of like Carl Malone having an MVP or Derrick Rose having an MVP but you're like you have to put yourself in the headspace of 
not even just like Bill Simmons guys, but dudes that are like way more fucking Jurassic in their outlook than he is even, where they see themselves as sort of gatekeepers for the sport or, you know, they're like sort of making these like weird high level calculations in like just very dumb guy ways. And so you wind up with some outcomes that are stupid and, you know, like you just, once you learn that that's just a thing that's going to happen, it's easy enough to tune them out. I was surprised that, I guess, that the players cared as much as they did. I think maybe they're just annoyed by Bill Simmons, which, I mean, <laughs> yeah, just, who among us? <laughs> right, like, not casting any stones here, but the idea of, like, I mean, I saw that with, um, it's like, at the half yesterday, like, Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith were both, like, Embiid is playing badly because he's mad he didn't win the MVP. And it's like, <laughs> it seems likelier that it's because his fucking eye socket is broken. <laughs> right! And he's <laughs> wearing a hockey mask. Like, that seems, like, probably, like, a more proximate cause. But in that, it's just, like, I mean, maybe it does matter that much. And I think that's, like, where you kind of run up against the, not to say that any of the three of us are normal people. I think we, you know, it's pretty well established that we're not. Uh... I would love to function like a normal person does at some point. That'd be neat. But I think that there is like having to, like, I can't put myself in the headspace of Joel Embiid in terms of like that type of competitiveness or what you choose to care about. It is just strange that like, you know, even people like us who are to a certain extent paid to give our opinions on stuff like this, that all of us are just like, well, the MVP is a dumb thing. Like that's not something to get upset about. And yet like for a player to get upset about it, like it makes me feel like, maybe everyone involved should be taking it more seriously just because of who takes it seriously? Well, because, um, you know, for you and I, like, I just, I, I only pay attention to the MVP because it's fun for people to argue about it. Like, right. I just like people complaining about it. It's fun. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I, I know that the voters essentially treat it like the Oscars where they just give it to whoever they think is kind of due. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, well, it's time. Time that this guy won a right. fucking MVP award. That's how Martin Scorsese winds up winning whatever best director. But then Embiid made the point, uh, um, you know, made the point at the end of, of his rant, you know, that that the players themselves there are potential contractual, uh, you know, ramifications for how these voters vote on certain things, and I don't know, I don't know how to bridge that sort of disconnect, apart from changing how uh, how the votes are tallied. But then you end up with like worse shit like coaches voting on it or like or like fans voting on yeah. it and like Kobe would win it at posthumously and shit like well, that's that. That's the thing with the, with the the compensation element definitely is like you want that to be pegged to something objective and that's not you know so there's just kind of casting about for like a more objective way of finding out this inherently super subjective thing. Like MLB's done that in the the new CBA there's that little clause where there's like a bonus pool for pre-arbitration players that finish in the top some number of wins above replacement so that like even if you don't win you know rookie of the year if you're like your second year and your base salary is like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars if you're worth like three wins like if you're like a well above average major league player there is like a designated little bonus that you get the issue with that is that wins above replacement isn't like RBI, where you can like see like a guy drives in another guy and then you put a little tick under his name. Right, yeah. It's calculated in ways that take various factors into account and like it weights them differently. And like not every site has like wins above replacement. If you look at fan graphs versus what you look at baseball reference or baseball prospectus, they're going to be different. And so there's that like idea of like once you 
get money involved in it, you want it to be fair, especially for players who are like, you know, getting paid for their labor like everybody else. And yet, like, it's hard. Like, this is just, it's, sports isn't built for that sort of thing. Well, that's how negotiations are, are conducted now. Like, agents yeah. will prepare PowerPoints with what they consider to be, you know, supporting data for why X player deserves X amount of money. And, of course, the team will come back with their own data points and their right. own PowerPoint decks. And that's so all Scott Boris thing. basically has, like, an in-house front office. He's got, yeah! like, dozens of guys. Like, more people doing analytics for him than for the Mets, <laughs> and which is a bad standard, but it is still, like, yeah, I mean, that's, like, that's their business. Uh, let's remember a guy. You want to remember a guy, Luis? Sure. Let's remember a guy. In honor of Miami, we're going to go We're gonna go a little far afield. We'll go back to the 1990s. We're going to remember the shifty Abdul Kareem Al-Jabbar, known then during his playing career as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Not the basketball one, the football one. Remember him, I. Luis? I do indeed. Uh, he was playing uh, around the time I got into football and around the time I moved to Miami. And so, yeah, he... Uh, the main thing I remember is I had been like a basketball fan before I was a football fan as a you know six, seven year old. So I knew who Kareem Abdul Jabbar, the basketball player, was and was extremely confused anytime <laughs> the football player came. I'm like, are they related? Like, what's yeah. going on here? Like, what an amazing career. What yeah. can't he do? Man. <laughs> I would he love can be to tall see, and short. Yeah, I would love to see like a seven foot two running back or however tall Kareem was. Yeah, like if you've seen Game of Death and you've seen him like throw kicks at Bruce Lee, it's sort of like I wouldn't mind watching Kareem return a punt. Like just see how it goes. The uh by the way, the real Kareem Abdul Jabbar, or I should not say the real, the the original Kareem Abdul Jabbar, uh sued football Kareem Abdul Jabbar, uh basically for stealing his name and his number. And that is part of the reason why he is now known as Abdul Kareem Al Jabbar, because because Kareem was not happy with other Kareem, who, by the way, does not spell his first name. With an E-E at the end. He is K-A-R-I-M, not K-A-R-E-E. Yeah, like Kareem Garcia, so another there were, iconic athlete. It was, it was a little different, but still not, not different enough for Kareem's liking. So. so, Luis, when you were getting into football, those were pretty lousy Dolphins teams. So it's like Scott Mitchell, the first quarterback that you remember like playing for them? Oh, God. I do not remember. I mean, I remember who Scott Mitchell is. I do not remember Scott Mitchell playing. I mean, I think Marino was still there. Oh, okay. Right. It was Scott, Scott Mitchell took over when Marino tore his Achilles one year. And it was the year um, right after that he was due to become a free agent. So he performed admirably, Scotty Mitchell did, in Marino's wake. And then, but Miami kept Marino, like, for the starting job after he got healthy. Not for much longer, but then there was a huge free agent derby for Scott Mitchell with like yeah. teams being like, why he needs to be a member of the Detroit Lions. And of course, that's where he ended up going. And he fucking sucked. Well, he was still, he was not good. And yet he's like <laughs> arguably the second best Lions quarterback of the last 40 years. Probably. Yeah. Like it's kind of hard to, you can't take that away from him. You just have to like, stop talking about it before you mentioned that like Eric Kramer is a close third and like there's not really much competition. Uh, fun bag time. Matt writes in, Luis, could you come up with a solution for getting rid of the intentional hitting of batters? I suggest a rule where anyone that leaves the bench gets suspended for a minimum of one game for a possible entire bench and bullpen being suspended. I think that's a bit harsh. Louis. Yeah. You, I, uh, is there any solution to this? As funny as it would be to have like an entire bullpen get suspended. That's kind of what the NBA did. 
uh, after that Sun Spurs series. Yes. Or yes, before, they did. I guess, but it came into play there. And like, yes, it would be so dumb if like, oh, you accidentally took a step like to try and defend your guy and you're immediately, I don't like that. Um, I also, I don't know. I, I don't hate the intentional hitting of batters. <laughs> I, I kind of don't either. <laughs> like, I don't know how to say that without like sounding, you know, uh, insensitive to the pain that probably comes with that. But like, whatever, you know, walk it off. It, it's a part of the game uh, in a way that doesn't make it slower by that much, which is really my only concern with baseball. It's like, if you're <laughs> making a rule to change, be. will it speed up the game? If not, then I don't care. Well, what's funny, Luis Roth, is, is that trying like to, trying to binge Emily in Paris, like as soon as the game exactly over, he wants this you, thing. You know, you know, Roth. I mean, what's funny, Roth, is I complain all the time about the unwritten rules of baseball, but I know that if they actually became codified rules, that baseball would just fuck it up, and I don't want that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely. I think that's where I fall on this too. I mean, you see it with like the baseball and stuff like that. Like, I just want the like the people in charge of baseball, the owners in the league. I want them doing as little as possible at all times. <laughs> yeah, I have a because it's well, for the good they, of the game. They do very you know? little in terms of the trying to win part. But, I have yeah. a follow up question for this, Roth, which is: Is baseball the sport of the major American sports you would trust the least to make like a rule change? I think it is for me, but I don't know a lot yeah. about hockey. Yeah, that's uh, hockey is one where like I feel like there's routinely extremely brutal fuck ups, and then just like also weird dramatic changes to like the shape of the game. But because I don't follow it, yeah. I, I don't really know about it. It's funny the NFL would be a good answer here. They are constantly making up new rules. Yeah, they always do that. I mean, that's but I, I trust them. Like the NFL to me is more evil than incompetent, while yeah. baseball is more incompetent than evil. Right, and I think I think that's a, a good distinction to make there, too, because the NFL is, like, they're trying to, like, maintain their dominance, and, like, that's going to get harder, you know, and harder as, like, you know, the league and football itself, like, sort of starts to catch up with it. But they're, like, they're not tweaking stuff. Like, MLB, like, Manfred especially, has always talked about it. Like, it's a fucking sport in crisis. It needs to be fixed right away. And so all of the stuff that they're doing is, like, they're just like, what if we got rid of the sixth inning? Does anyone like it? It's annoying. Like, you get right onto the seventh. That's cool. The fifth, fine. Like, there, but it's always some like dumbass thing that's designed to like remove 20% of the amount of baseball in every baseball game. And so, like, yeah, like it's beyond incompetent. Like, it's just not coming from a place of like improving it. It's coming from a place of like just making it less annoying. Well, you know, we haven't talked about the NBA because the NBA is relatively consistent on a lot of this stuff, but it was the NBA that instituted. I'd argue the most drastic rule change like of the modern era by instituting the three-point line. And I don't know that any league ever again will make a change that drastic to its rules. I just I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know. Like adding like a new way to score that yeah. is pretty... I mean, unless they invent a fucking four-point line, which I don't think they'll do. I don't know. Do you stupid. remember the like the rock and jock games where they had the like hundred point basket that was Fuck like, yeah I do. Yeah. yeah. Like like a little circle like on the court. Like <laughs> yep. NBA jam style. I loved all of that shit. This is why I feel like Dan Cortez should be involved in more uh rulemaking enterprises for leagues. Uh Roth Ben writes in as best I can tell the last complete game loss in MLB history was pitched by Adam Wainwright back in April of twenty twenty one. Now that we have the Universal DH and there's no pressure to lift a pitcher for a late-inning pinch hitter. Uh, starting pitchers and starting pitchers are throwing fewer, fewer innings than ever. Do you think we'll ever see another complete game loss in the major leagues? And perhaps more interestingly, should we, Roth? I mean, it's one of those things that, like, 
could definitely just go away without anybody noticing or getting upset about it, uh, except for me, probably. And I think, that, like, there is, like, I wouldn't, like, shed too many tears for it. But, yes, I do sort of wonder how many of those we will see. Because it's, like, if you're cruising, like, efficiently, if you've thrown, like, eight innings of, like, you know, one-run baseball and you've thrown, like, 80-odd pitches. Right. If your team is, like... Yes, you're not getting lifted for a pinch hitter or whatever because your team is like pulling the goalie and going for every, you know, opportunity they can. There's still like, given the way that seasons are shaped, like I don't feel like a team would just like sort of err on the side of like not like punting the game, but they'd just be like, all right, whatever. Like this isn't worth hanging 115 pitches on a guy that we have a lot invested in just so we can lose two to one. You know, like the, I think that for better or worse, that mindset is like so universally shared around the league now that I, I I think this is a good question. I really could easily see this disappearing. It is just telling that like it could, you know, maybe it has already disappeared and like nobody noticed except for our uh, letter writer there. <laughs> I, uh, I don't, I don't know that it will go out completely. Cause like you said, there are anomalous games where it's one, nothing and both pitchers like throw 90 pitches of fucking heat. And it just happens yeah. that way. Also, I think the October factor plays into this where there are still teams, I think, that come October, they're like, listen, this is one of the only few chances we'll fucking get. We got to, you know, we're, we can't think about the future right now. We can't pull, you know, we can't pull a Mike Rizzo here. We have to actually, like, try hard. So I still think that there, I still think there are teams out there that will overpitch pitchers in the postseason. Not to the Grady Little extent, but, like, to the Matt Harvey extent. Yeah, yes. uh, there you go. Uh, an anonymous writes in, Luis, he says, my caffeine delivery method of choice is the blue low-carb monster energy drink. I can only drink this blue can. Nearly every other single energy drink tastes like batteries to me, except this one. It started when I worked at a machine shop through high school and college, then continued when I started in a fake boiler room software sales team. My brother, a health nut, says that these drinks are harmless and essentially a vitamin. At this point, though, it's terribly embarrassing. I can give them, give them up for a few weeks and go back to tea, but always come back to that one blue can. Luis, will this kill me? Well, first, <laughs> I have to try and guess whether this was uh, Barry or Dan, our coworkers, that sent this yeah. anonymous question. We had a couple of, <laughs> couple of real games. No, it, was, it, was an act, it wasn't a staffer. It was an, it was an yeah. actual anonymous. Um, it probably won't kill you. Uh, it'll definitely, I think, shorten your life. A little bit, <laughs> but I, I don't think it'll be the cause of uh, you dying. I think, you know, when it comes to caffeine, like I will pound a Coke heavy multiple times a day nowadays. Uh, really? Yeah. What I'm, is a Coke heavy? Is that it's just Coke? normal Coke. Non-diet. Oh, right, right. I think that's just a thing from like Bud Light and Bud Heavy that I've just yeah. used in my life. Um, but yeah, that's I, okay. I think you'll be fine for like 15, 20 more years of doing that every day. Uh, and then after I'm that, I'm surprised they make a low carb. Is there a, so energy drinks have carbohydrates in them? Have a lot of carbohydrates? Well, they have sugar. Yeah, I know. But I mean, there like is a, sugarless Red Bull. I, I have had that. It's pretty it is, disgusting. It is, it is funny though if you're like, oh, I want a monster energy drink, but can I have the healthy one, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Like I love drinking gamer fuel, but it goes straight to my hips. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that the bacon free bacon? Oh. <laughs> I would also I would say that. Uh, even if it kills you young, well, you're awake for like 15% more of every day. So right. really, 
you're not losing life so much as making your death more efficient. I think. Right. Like giving you wings can mean many things. I mean, some of the- <laughs> I mean there's a reason all those commercials have people like flying into heaven because they are dead now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens. That's you it's actually a, a artist rendering of your heart exploding because you keep drinking the weird blue can. Looks like fucking R2-D2 every day. I can't believe I have to back to penthouse this, but when I was on that same assignment, it was with the Red Bull NASCAR team, and they had, instead of water, everyone on the team drank NAS, drank, uh, drank Red Bull the whole race. Oh. And this was in Phoenix, oh, and God. like, and it was like a thousand degrees, so I followed suit. I drank, I, I don't even know, like six Red Bulls, and I was like, there was a certain point where I hit a Red Bull wall, and I was like, this, I don't feel good this is bad i <laughs> yeah. should not be Just doing heart this. palpitations yeah. that's cool that there's such huge fans of the movie idiocracy that they're paying tribute to it <laughs> you gotta Just in their moment you know you, you gotta be you gotta be loyal to your sponsor yeah. the uh say? the red bull f1 team to go back to them they always have like these bottles that are look like they're red bull you know some product like I, a magnum I, of Red Bull? My conspiracy theory is that it's just water with food dye because there's no way that they could actually be drinking that much Red Bull during these, like, you know, 85-degree races in Miami, for example. Right, yeah. Yeah. It seems like it would be really irresponsible. The idea. It's like there you have to draw a line there, too, that, like, just if you're... I don't like if all the NASCAR things that are sponsored by like Coors Light, if they were just like drilling brews, <laughs> that would be like that's good brand awareness, but also like don't do that. Like well, you I, can't change it. I think you're being too safe. Days. I don't think you're the kind of guy who lives his life a quarter mile at the time. Uh, time <laughs> right, so. Yeah, I forgot that I'm on the uh, like two real road boys. Uh, Brandon Nixon, Chantel Holder are our producers. Nora Ritchie is our executive producer. Our theme song. By Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. Thanks to Roth and Luis and me. You got a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to defector.com too while you're at it. And everyone, have a great week. We'll see you again next week. Luis, thanks for joining us. Come back thank soon. You. Yeah, thank you for having me. Bye. Bye, everybody.